As we come into Thanksgiving week, it's appropriate that uh, sermon today, we're talking about being joyfully justified. You could call it thankfully justified. As you come into this Thanksgiving week, sometimes we have trouble, depending on where you are, uh, finding things to be thankful for, or we're just struggling to be thankful because of things that we've been through. But what we want to talk about this morning is that which is always true. Always true. And so we are always thankful and always joyfully justified. We're in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Hear then the word of God. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit by which you speak it afresh into the hearts and lives of your people. Come near to us now and and speak these words in power. Help us to grasp them and more than that, help them to grasp us. That we would be held by them and changed by them. That we would stand in them, that we would live in them. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Every person whose faith and trust are in Christ alone stands joyfully justified before God forever. Right? Every person whose faith and trust is in Christ alone stands joyfully justified before God forever. Justification, as we start throwing that word around, it was one of the most important topics in Christianity, and certainly it was at the storm center of the Reformation. And as the Reformation raged, one of the questions at the center of that whole debate is, how is a person justified before God? How, how can a person stand right and accepted and unafraid before God? How can a person have their destiny be for heaven and not for hell? How can we be justified? Justified is a Bible word. It's a word that we should all know because it's a Bible word. And it simply means to declare someone to be righteous. It's a declaration. It's a law word. If you were standing in a courtroom and and the whole trial had gone on and finally the verdict is read and it says the, the verdict is that you are justified before the law. You are Declared to be righteous in the sight of the law. You are innocent in terms of the charges that were against you. You stand in terms of your relationship to justice. You stand right. You're righteous. As it's sometimes thrown around these days. And it's true to stand right then. is a Bible word to stand right before God. And it has two parts to it. And if you don't go away with anything. Is remember this again. In terms of righteousness has two parts to it. And they're both yours. And one of them is to stand forgiven, to have all your sins forgiven, 
And the other side, though, is not just to be left there in sort of a neutral state, but is to stand right before God, to be declared righteous, having your sins forgiven and being righteous, pardoned and accepted. Justification, then, is to change a person's standing before God from guilty and condemned to innocent. It's to change a person's standing. Packer puts it this way. John Packer says, justification is that truly dramatic transition from a status of a condemned criminal who is awaiting a terrible sentence to that of an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. Right? Those two pieces are, are true of someone who has experienced this dramatic change of status to being considered righteous. And so every person whose faith and trust is in Christ alone stands joyfully justified before God forever. Paul says it in, as we look at those two parts, the forgiveness of sins and being declared righteous before God. Verse 13, he says, And you, you, when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. All right, he says, When you were dead, God made you alive. And he did it having forgiven all of your trespasses. Now, trespasses is, is a word sometimes used. You know, it simply means to cross a line, right? A line you're not supposed to cross. Don't trespass. So to trespass is to cross the line. And in that sense, it's used as another way of talking about breaking God's laws. Crossing a line you shouldn't cross. Breaking a law you shouldn't break. Your trespasses. In other words, it's just another way of saying sin against God. Breaking his law. And then he says that you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You look back in verse 11. He says, also, you also were circumcised with a circumcision not made by hands by putting off the body of the flesh. All right? And he says in the uncircumcision of your flesh is before that change, that spiritual change that is described in 11 has taken place. Before our hearts were changed, before our sins were forgiven. That's what he's saying. You were dead before your sins were forgiven and your heart was changed. That's where you lived. That's where you were. You were still under God's judgment. He says, when you were there, God made you alive. And he did that by making you righteous and accepted in his sight, no longer under his judgment. He made you alive, it says, verse 13, in him, in Christ. Look again at verse 12, just giving the context that's led him up to this. In verse 12, he said that you, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, right? He says that you died with him, you were buried with him, and when he rose, you rose, you were raised with him. He made you alive in him, in his resurrection, in his coming to life eternally to stand justified and righteous before God. 
When he was justified, in a sense, by the resurrection, which declared him to be right with God, it demonstrated his righteousness. When he rose and sat at the right hand of the Father, accepted and embraced, he says, so did you. In him, with him. See, when we're connected to Jesus by faith, when we're connected to him, everything that is his becomes ours. This is one of the deepest and richest and the most amazing things that the scripture tells us. That when you get connected to Jesus by faith and he is your savior, your Lord, your king, when you have put your love in him and your trust in him, he says, and everything that is his as your savior and your head and your king becomes yours. All that he did, all that he is, so that when he died to God's sin and judgment on the cross, so did you. And when he rose, so did you. And he says all of this happens, verse 13 at the end, he says all of this happens having forgiven all of our trespasses. All of our sin. All of it. Right? Notice he says all of it. All of our trespasses. Not some of it. And when he says all of it, it's not even just, you know, that you got a whole boatload of it. Like right now, as you look back on your life and look back on maybe even just yesterday, and you got a whole boatload of it, right? Not just a wheelbarrow, but like a boatload of it. And he says he forgives all of our sins. And then you think, well, that, it's not even only that, because he's talking about all of your sin. In other words, when God sees you, he knows every sin, not only that you've ever committed, but every sin you'll ever commit. And when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, he knew every sin you would ever commit. And when Jesus died for your sins on that day, he didn't die for some of them, he died for all of them. He says, all of it, past, present, future, that you will ever experience or ever commit, all of it. And he says he does it, verse 14, he does it. Have you forgiven all of your trespasses, the whole boatload in the past and that boatload that sits in front of you? He's forgiven all of your sins, he said, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. The debt of sin, that record that... Everything written down that you, you did, that, uh, that, that stands on that document if you're indicted in a court of law. All the stuff you did, you know, three counts of this, ten counts of that, nine counts of that, one count, of, and the list goes on. The record of your debt to the justice of God, the record that was against you, that was opposed to you, that condemned you, that record, he said, with all of his legal demands, because remember, trespassing here is to, to break God's laws and to stand subject to his justice and to his judgment. With all of his, this record of your debt, with all of his legal demands, he says, everything that was ever against you, he set it aside. He took it away. And he did it by nailing it to the cross. Once for all, in the body of Jesus. This is why in Micah, he can say, you will cast all of our sins into the depth of the sea. He set them aside. He took them away. He 
as if he threw them into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. That far have you removed our sins from us because when you nailed them to the cross, he removed them utterly and completely and forever. He nailed it to the cross, the entire record of our debt. What a picture of union with Christ. Right? Do you see it? That when the nails were driven into his hands and his feet, when he was nailed to the cross, on that moment, on that day, your record of sin, your debt record was nailed in that moment to the cross in him. At the moment that Jesus was nailed, so were you in all of your sin. That's why in 1 Peter 2.24, he can say he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That is, he bore our debt record. He bore the penalty of our sin. He bore everything that stood against us. He bore it in his own body on the cross. And why did he do it? That we might die to sin and live for righteousness. All of our guilt all of our fear about standing before God now, this morning, or on that day, all of our guilt, all of our fear, he says, he set it aside and he nailed it to the cross, having done with it. That's why the great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You ever sing some of these lines and just get the, the power of them? My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. The bliss of this glorious thought. Are you still bearing it? Are you still under the burden of it? Are you carrying it this morning? He says, you don't have to carry it. Jesus came to carry it for you. You weighed down by guilt and fear. And put your trust in Christ. Because for all of those whose faith and trust are in Christ alone, stand joyfully justified before God forever. But we said that justification has two parts. That's the forgiveness of sins. It, is, it entails that, and that would be enough, wouldn't it? Just that is a message right there. Just that is a lifetime of thanksgiving. Just that will fill your week this week. Whatever else you don't have or have to be grateful for is to be grateful for this. The bliss of this glorious thought that my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to his cross. But there's a second part, because... You know, you can have your sin forgiven and still, you know, not, not live in close quarters. You know, you can, you can be moved down the street in some back side of town, but he doesn't. He says he forgives our sins, but he also counts us as righteous and so takes us home with him and adopts us as his own children. He kept, takes us accepted in his, in his presence in a perfectly healed and whole relationship with himself. We are Righteous. He credits Christ's righteousness to our account. This is what Paul is trying to say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, a very familiar verse. That, verse that he says, For our sake he made him to be sin, that is to 
take our sin debt, to bear our sin burden, the penalty of what we owed for our sake. He made him to bear our sin debt, the one who knew no sin, the perfect one, for our sin debt so that we could not just be forgiven, but that we could stand, he says, righteous. That we could become, think, just think of what this, this is mean, that we could not even just stand right, we could become, in that sense, the righteousness of God. Right? Not someday. Today. Right now. Utterly forgiven. No guilt. No fear. The very righteousness of God. To be righteous is not to be a perfect person. You may be sitting here thinking, but I'm not a perfect person. I can, I can accept Christ and bow the knee and love him and trust him. And, and I'm still not a perfect person. And what we're, we're not saying that this makes you a perfect person. I know you're not a perfect person. And I, he knows better than I do. And I know that I am not. But what he is saying is that your standing, your status before him, before the law court is, you had a sin debt. You're not a perfect person. And you will sin again. And you won't be a perfect person. But that sin debt, which is justly deserving of God's wrath, it, it is, it does, but the debt has been paid. So that your standing is in the eyes of God's court that you are declared innocent, justified in the sight of the law. As far as justice is concerned, you're not guilty. You have a right standing before God the judge. He accepts you as if you had never sinned. As if you had never sinned, not on your own account, not based on looking at you and what you've pulled off in terms of righteousness, but by looking at because the righteousness of Christ is credited to your account so that he looks at you in Christ. And when Christ died, you died. When he rose, you rose. And as he is righteous and justified, so are you. Let me point out several quick things and that, that are true about righteousness and being justified. And first of all, is that righteousness is a gift of God. Right? That is what we're saying. If you put your faith in Christ and trust Him genuinely in such a way that you take Him as Lord and Savior and King, you've truly become connected to Christ by faith. The gift is yours. You can't earn it. Some of you are trying to, to, to get your life straight and to be good enough and so God will accept you. And He says, the Scripture is very clear, you cannot earn it. It is not by works. If you, if you are depending on yourself and waiting for the day when you can pull it off, he says it will never happen. You will never be justified. It's a gift. And it's actually when we stop, in a sense, looking to our record and trying to be good enough. It's actually when we look away from ourselves altogether to the Savior, to his righteousness, that we can actually begin to share in that. His righteousness credited to our account through faith. It's given apart from anything that we've ever done, any good works that we've ever done. We cannot earn it. It's freely given to us. Nothing that we ever do now will add to it. If you're given the righteousness of Christ, and he's 100% righteous, there's nothing you can do to add to it and make it better. You can't stand any more justified. You can't be any more accepted. You can't be any more loved as his child. If he loves you like he loves Jesus, because you stand in his righteousness as his own son, 
freely given. Romans 3, 23 and 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another way of simply saying, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your old nature before your heart was changed, all have sinned and fall short of his glory. And we are justified, though, by grace, not by works, not by anything you have done, by grace as a gift, only as a gift. If you try to get it any other way, you will fail to obtain it. But if you take it as a gift, given through faith in Christ, it is yours. Also then, not only is it given as a gift, it's given in a moment. You're justified in a moment, at the moment of salvation, the moment of genuine faith in Christ. When he becomes yours, in that moment, all that is his becomes yours. His standing becomes yours. It happens once. It happens in a moment. It happens once for all, and it happens forever. It's a one-time event that lasts forever. The declaration, and that's because it is, it is not you becoming doing something to get it. It's a declaration. And then before God's law court, your advocate Jesus stood in your place when you trusted him as your savior. And at that moment, God declares, righteous, now and forever for Jesus' sake. And so third, not only then is grace a gift, justice justification or righteousness, a gift of God. And not only does it happen in a moment, but it means that we are credited with Jesus' account. And we've said this already in some ways, but you need to understand that, 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 that exchange, that opening of the gate, that, that all that is his is ours. You've heard me say so many times, I say, um, you know, that he lived the life that you failed to live and he died the death that you deserve to die. Right? That's a summary statement of all of this. He, he, he lived the life that we failed to live. You know, the, whole, the one who had no sin became sin for us. Right? The one who had no sin, who lived the life that we failed to live, he lived it for us. His perfect record of a perfect life, the one you failed to live, becomes your record when he becomes yours. He lived that life we failed to live, and now it's as if we lived it. And that's the way God sees it. And he died the death that we deserve to die. Jesus suffered all the pains and all the penalties due from the law. God's wrath against sin poured out on him in justice and in judgment. He suffered all the, he died the death we deserve to die. But it's as if we died that debt. When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he did away with sin once for all in his own flesh, we did away with sin once for all, as if it were ours. And the debt is paid. And so we stand and say again, another thing you need to know is true about justification is that demands of justice have been met. The demands of justice have been satisfied. I love that line in the hymn, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder, another of John Newton's hymns, Amazing Grace, let us love and sing and wonder. And he speaks, you know, let us wonder how grace and justice join at the cross. And he says, let us wonder for justice smiles and asks no more. Can you imagine in terms of your case, standing before God now and forever, justice smiles at you and asks no more of you because the debt was paid. Justice was satisfied. And it was satisfied. 
You know, we need to understand it's satisfied. God does not wink at sin. Some of us think, you know, oh, well, you know, sin, that he just, sin, you just, God winks at it, never mind. You know, or like up in Jersey, we'd say, you know, forget about it. You know, but he never says forget about it. Never. Sin is a serious business to God. The, the penalty for sin, all of sin and falls short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And the penalty for sin, the penalty for every one of your sins, every one that you have done, and that you will do. The price was paid. Wrath was poured out. Justice was satisfied. It was not ignored. It was not overlooked. It was satisfied so we can smile and ask no more. Because Jesus underwent our punishment and our judgment. We never will. You can see when you see the fires that are out west, sometimes it, it's hard for us. We don't have the same, I guess sometimes we do around here, but out west, and some of the conditions are very dry and how those fires, uh, those forest fires and, and, the, and the fields can sweep across and up and over hills and they catch whole neighborhoods and the firemen are out there trying to fight them and at times, I mean, they've got this whole thing going on because if it turns in a moment, the fire moves so quickly consumed so quickly that they can get caught, you know, when the wind whips up. All it has to do is change direction and it will catch you. And so we've seen even whole groups of firefighters are lost fighting these things. And so out west, and you know, as you move down on the prairies when things are dry as dust and, and those fires start up, there are no hills or anything to block. And when the wind whips and the wind blows, it can literally drive the fire across the prairie, consuming everything in its path. It's dry. So the farmer who comes out and he sees not far off the wall of flame sweeping toward his homestead, you know, he doesn't have time to run. He knows he doesn't have time to run. So as he's calling to his family, he grabs the canister of gas that's by his tractor and he begins to pour it in a circle in the front yard and, and fill in the circle with gas as his family comes running. And he has everyone stands back. He throws a match in and that circle just goes, conflagration of that gas big black circle, does it just as a fire hits the barn and it goes up and it's coming across the yard. He gets his family and they all run into the middle of that circle and hunker down. And the fire comes across the yard, it hits the circle, and goes around it and sweeps off, gets the house and moves on. And the scripture says that when the fire comes, the only safe place to be is where the fire has already been. Right? And that is the cross. That is what the scripture is telling us. It's at the cross. Where, when the day of God's wrath and justice comes, the only safe place to be is where it has already been. And God's wrath was poured out on Christ against sin. He bore our sin dead in his own body on the cross. He says the only safe place to be then is going to be in Christ on that day. Because it's already been paid and the fire will not hit the same place twice. Packer says that God's justifying decision is the judgment of the last day. The declaring of where we will spend eternity. That's what we're talking about here. God's justifying decision of the last day is brought forward into the present right now as you put your faith in Christ. And it's pronounced here and it's pronounced now. It is the last judgment that we will ever face, that will ever be passed on our destiny. God will never go back on it. If by, if by faith you are justified, 
It is, a, it is the final justification. And we know this. Packer's just summarizing what Jesus said in John chapter 5. He says this, truly, 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 twice, you know, hear me out, right? Truly, truly, I'm saying to you, hear me now, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has an eternal life, and that life starts now. It can only start now. He has eternal life. She has eternal life, and it starts right now. That can only happen if the judgment of that day has already been passed. He has eternal life, and he does not come into judgment. He has already, she has already passed from death to life. The deal is done. We call it being saved. Justice is already satisfied. Judgment is already rendered. And we stand accepted in his presence now and forever. And Paul ends with this Final picture in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them all to open shame by triumphing over them in him at the cross. This picture that for Paul, that this event that we're talking about, this is a cosmic event. It touches all of creation, visible and invisible, human and other living beings and powers that exists. What is accomplished here? We see in the scripture all creation groans waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. That what God has done here is he is redeeming all that he has created. And he says in this event, it's cosmic. He disarmed and he triumphed over every other power. It puts them to open shame. Once we were slaves to sin and there were other powers at work in our universe. And we were slaves to sin and under the influence of other powers. And he says, but no longer. Every other power that exists in this cosmic event, he says, he disarmed them. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to shame. And they have no power over us and they have no claim on us and they can make no charge against us. couple then... Last thought, there's a foundation for our confidence here. In life and in death, if God is with us and God is for us, right? This is the judgment of the end of Romans 8. Such a beautiful and powerful passage. He said, if God is for us, who can stand against us? My friends, you need to sit in that sentence for a week. And anything that's standing against you, whatever power, whatever circumstance, whatever seems so big and you don't know if you're going to make it, he triumphed over them and he disarmed them. And there is none who can stand. And if God is for us in time and eternity, who can be against us? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? Who? Right? Who Who can even do it? God, who is the judge, he is the one who justified you. Right? Jesus... He's the only other one who could bring it, God the Son, the Advocate. Who who is going to condemn? Christ is the one who died for you. Christ is the one who bore your sin and rose again. The ones who could bring a charge are the ones who saved you already. Who is going to do it? Whatever happens in this life, my friends, this is always true. No one can charge us ever again. And we stand accepted before the Almighty. This is when we sing the great new hymn in Christ alone. That sentence that that is in there, he says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Every day, 
It's the foundation of a new life of holiness, right? Every day. Why? Because every day starts here. Every day starts in our acceptance in our position in Christ. See, if you start your day wallowing in your performance from yesterday, today is going to stink. I can just tell you, I've been there and done that. You know, if I wake up today and think about my day, and all I can think about is what I did yesterday. Ugh. You know, does he even love me? He doesn't even want to look at me. You know what I mean? Like, or you know, you know the guilt and the fear. You know what it is to live there. And what he is saying is his mercies are new every morning. How can they be new every morning? They're new this morning because the debt is paid. And he accepts you. And he loves you in Christ. Who can bring a charge? Even from yesterday, there's no one who can bring a charge. See, if we start here in his justification, my debt was nailed to the cross. See, I don't get up this morning and do good so that God will accept me and I can feel better about myself. I get up this morning and I bask in my acceptance. And there I find the grace and the power to dust myself off and do it again, to pursue the life that is in Christ but the hope, the joy, the passion, the strength that I need to do that is only found here in the safety of the cross where we stand loved and accepted and he is for us and not against us. So we have to trust in Christ alone. See, the danger is that we, we spend so much time trusting in ourselves, looking at our record, looking at our performance, seeing how we did. Oh, I don't feel good about myself. Surely he doesn't feel good about me. You know, and we spend so much time down here in the mud and here there's a choice to be made, my friends. You can trust in your righteousness, your performance, your behavior, your record, or his. Which one do you want? Thank you. <laughs> Say it a little louder. <laughs> his. His. Give me his, right? There's no choice, but what do we do? We don't stand every day trusting in his righteousness, trusting in my acceptance, trusting in what he has done, knowing that um, you know, we, we don't live in it. We, we spend our time looking at the gerbil wheel on which we run. Paul says this, Philippians 3, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. When he says all things, he's talking about his resume. He's talking about his good stuff that he does, Right? And that's what we do. We look at the good stuff. I, I, I did some good stuff today. He must be happy with me, right? So now I'm accepted, you know, and then tomorrow I do bad stuff. And then now, we, well, now, oh, yeah, not happy with me, right? And we live there. But Paul says this, all of that stuff, even the good stuff, isn't what I stand before God with. My righteousness is as filthy rags when it comes to me, right? I have suffered the loss of all these things. I count them as trash. Why? So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And what happens when we do that? I have a righteousness, not of my own, that comes from the law that I drummed up by my good performance. I don't have that righteousness. I don't want it. I'm making a choice. Not me, but a righteousness that is through faith in Christ is a gift from God, and it depends on faith, and it comes to me through Christ. I can't earn it. I never earned it. And because I never earned it, I can't lose it. It is mine in Christ. As long as he is mine, so is this righteousness. My friends, he sees you in Christ. He sees you without sin. He sees you just like he sees Christ himself, clothed in righteousness, fully justified. And this is the foundation of a life of joy. 
Can you see why Paul then would say, rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I will say it, rejoice. It's always true. He can, though he slay me, he can, he can, I can, tomorrow, you know, if that happens, you know, the Lord only knows. Pulling out of here and the Lord takes me home. Though he slay me, I will rejoice in him always. Like we have everything. He who has given us his own son, how will he not give us with him all things? This is always true in time and eternity. Heaven is a, is a place to, to look forward to. Right? And that uh, there is nothing to be feared in life or in death. Do you taste it? Do you see it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice because a person whose faith and trust are in Christ alone stands joyfully justified before God forever. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you that... You did not leave us as you found us, but that you were willing to live the life that we failed to live and to die the death that we deserve to die, that we might stand justified and accepted before you in time and eternity. Father, for those here this morning who have never grasped this, who have never so put their faith and trust in Jesus to throw themselves on him, to, to find all of their hope and all of their life and all of their righteousness and all of their joy in Him. I pray this morning, Father, that, that that would happen. That Jesus would be everything to every one of us. Help us to trust Him every day, every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.